0: All right, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians, we, for those who weren't here last week, we started 1 Corinthians last week, and we'll continue today. So we're still in chapter 1. Um, G.K. Chesterton once wrote, men did not love Rome because she was great. She was, she was great because they had loved her. The idea being that Because some people were willing to love the city of Rome when she was unlovely, when she was perhaps just ordinary, she became lovely and great and extraordinary. And the idea has much relevance for Christians. If we as the church, as the people of God, are to have any chance of being great and lovely, It is completely dependent on God first being willing to love us when we don't deserve it. It is only the initiative-taking, commitment-making, and then promise-sustaining, faithful love of God that will make anything out of any of us. And so as Paul continues to begin this letter to this church in Corinth that was making a good case as one of the most dysfunctional churches in all of history. They were doing their part. He begins with the grace of God. Because again, if there is going to be any hope for them, it is only by the faithful and effective and powerful love of God. And the same is true for us as a church, as individuals as well. So we're going to ask three questions to work through the text today. We're in verses 4 through 9. Uh, first, what does Paul do here? Second, why, does, why is this so incredible? And then third, what is it that enables him to do this? Okay, first question is quite simple. What does Paul do? Verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you, And we're just going to stop there. I give thanks to my God always for you. Obvious answer to this first question. We don't need to spend too much time on it. Paul gives thanks. Now, this was not unusual for writing a letter in that time. Um, If you turn to many of the other letters in the New Testament, many of Paul's letters, you'll find similar beginnings. In 1 Thessalonians, he begins, We give thanks to God always for you. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul, again, begins, we ought to always give thanks to God for you. So this was customary, to begin a letter with thanks. So there's nothing unusual about that until you consider who Paul is writing to, the church in Corinth, which leads to the second question. Why is starting a letter this way so incredible? It seems that if there was ever an individual who had a legitimate right to not be thankful for a church, it would be Paul towards the Corinthians. If, if we had the time and we were to, to skip over this first part of 1 Corinthians, read the rest of the letter, and then come back, and without you having read the first part of the letter, and you were asked, like, how do you think Paul begins? I highly doubt you would come up with, I give thanks for all of you, Always. A few things to know about the church in Corinth, which we'll discover as we work through this over the next year or so. First of all, there's some serious moral concerns in this church. Uh, Some people are suing each other, taking each other to court, certainly not displaying the kind of humility and love and selflessness that are meant to characterize God's people. Others appear to be going into prostitutes. And then there's a guy, notoriously, who is sleeping with his mother-in-law, with his father's, uh, sorry, his stepmother, his father's wife. And in this situation, the church as a whole seems to be unconcerned, even perhaps proud that this shows their, quote-unquote, freedom in Christ. Secondly, the Corinthians are confused or ignorant about some significant issues. So some of them wonder if it's even okay for Christians to be married, and if sex in marriage is okay. So, Paul both has to tell them, no, you can't go into prostitutes. And, yes, sex is okay in marriage. Interesting uh, pastoral concerns he has here. They are also confused about the nature and power of the gospel. So, many in the church in Corinth assumed or thought that the power of the gospel rested in the delivery, rested in the charisma of the speaker, And so they they wanted to see smooth, kind of entertaining, showy messages delivered. And then third, there are some in the church that don't think much of Paul or his ministry. Paul had planted this church a few years before, but many of the church don't really like him too much. They prefer other teachers, and not only do they prefer other teachers, they are making a big deal out of this which is causing divisions. They're saying, some of them are saying, well, I follow Paul, and others are saying, well, I I follow Apollos or Peter or Christ. And this is not just pitting teachers against one another. It's actually distorting the gospel. And so Paul has heard all of these reports. Letters have been written to him. People have come to him as he's in Ephesus. And put yourself in Paul's situation. Here is the church that you planted, that you spent 18 months planting and discipling and sharing the gospel with. You've given your life, much of your life to them. You hear all of these concerning reports, and, and you know all of the, the witness of the church that is meant to be giving glory to God and witnessing to God among the other peoples around them is, doesn't look too great at this point. If you're human you are feeling frustrated. You're, you're angry, you're disappointed with this church. Many of you have felt similar things towards churches. Many of you have been hurt by and let down by and sinned against by churches, by church leadership, by people in churches. Or at the very least, we've been hurt by other believers and we've felt disappointed and frustrated and angry at our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And what is really easy to do in those times is to be only concerned about justice, right? This is wrong, something needs to be done, they must be corrected, somebody needs to step in and do something. And to just feel this overwhelming sense of justice. And to be very clear, Paul is going to do all of that as he gets into this letter. He's going to use every means to correct and confront them. He's going to call out their sin. He's going to appeal to them. He's going to use bitter sarcasm to help them see their errors. He's going to specifically tell them to remove from their fellowship and not even associate with this guy who is sleeping with his father's wife unrepentantly. And then at the very end of the letter, he says, "...if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed." So whatever we're going to see Paul do here in giving thanks, this is not just kind of turning a blind eye to what is really happening in the church. It's not sugarcoating things, overlooking sin and all of the issues there. But in light of all that, how incredible and surprising that Paul begins, not with a series of some choice four-letter words, What is going on? But he begins, I give thanks to my God always for you. Always. I mean, he didn't have to add that word in there. Like, once in a while. No, I give thanks to my God always for you. And everything in the text makes this seem like this is genuine. And Paul can be very sarcastic at times, but this seems to be very genuine. Paul is genuinely thankful for the Corinthian church. Now, to press this a a little bit more before moving on, uh, this is not just, I hope, an interesting observation we are making. Like, oh, that's nice. Maybe we could learn something from Paul here. Maybe not. Uh, Maybe even Paul is out of line. Is he making a mockery of justice and ultimately in sin because he's not calling them out right away? He needs to lay into them. No. If this is inspired scripture, if this is the very words of God to us and for us, then Paul is not in any wrong, in any sin here, in giving thanks for these people, for this church. There are very good biblical, pastoral, theological, discipleship reasons for what Paul is doing here. Which means that there are very good biblical discipleship reasons that we should seek to do similar, which we'll get into. So third question, what is it that enables Paul to do this? So let's read the bulk of the text here, and then we'll kind of work through this. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you, And then here he gives a reason. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you were not lacking in any, any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more verse. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our lord so in short very clearly paul can give thanks for the corinthian church because of the grace of god in christ jesus their whole existence their whole identity as a church as believers is owing not to themselves but to the grace of god from beginning to end they're obtaining god's salvation in the first place they're being built up and bearing fruit, confirming that salvation, and the hope of making it securely to the end are all owing to God's grace. And that's what Paul gives thanks for. So kind of work through this. He starts with the initial work of grace. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So this surely includes their initial conversion, salvation, when they heard the gospel of Jesus when Paul came and was preaching to them, and they repented, and they believed, and they clung to the grace of God in Jesus. They became members of God's family. But this also likely includes all that God has done and will do to confirm, to bear the fruit of godliness, and to confirm their faith. So Paul says, "There, "...in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge." Um, This is likely pointing to visible demonstrations of God's Spirit, um, the gifts of the Spirit that we'll get into later in the the work, that were notable among the Corinthians. So there is visible evidence that God's Spirit is working among them. But the big idea is this. The fact that God had had begun a work in them, had initiated a work in them, had given them His grace, they had responded in faith, that in in itself was and is reason to give thanks and to celebrate. They were truly people of God, indwelt by the Spirit, empowered by God, called by God to, to live for His glory. In other words, Paul's first and overarching concern when he considers the people in the church in corinth is are they in christ he's not judging them on any human scale and along lines of attractiveness or potential or apparent strength he's not judging them on how mature they are or righteous they are his attitude towards them is not are they easy to be around do they make my life easier are they growing and maturing at a sufficient rate for my liking do they have sins or struggles or sufferings that hurt or annoy me? No. Before and above and behind all of that, his first concern is, are they in Christ or are they apart from Christ? And if they are in Christ, then there is reason to give thanks. Always. There is reason to for us, to give thanks for one another. Always. There's always sufficient reason. Gordon Fee comments, In every redeemed person there is evidence of the grace of God. And that brings forth Paul's gratitude, both to God and for them. To delight in God for his working in the lives of others, even in the lives of those with whom one feels compelled to disagree, is sure evidence of one's own awareness of being the recipient of God's grace. You see what he's saying? That our recognizing and receiving the grace of God compels us to recognize the grace of God and to define others and to see others through the lens of the grace of God. And in that, we can give thanks, even when there is, as there will be in this life, sin that remains, even when they let us down, even when they hurt us and frustrate us, even when there is, as there is in Corinth, some confusion and ignorance and bad doctrine and all of this... There are a reason to give thanks. So Paul begins with this initial work of God in them. But then he moves to other reasons that he can give thanks, uh, to God's promise to sustain his people to the end. Verse, verses 7 through 9 again says, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, Paul has hope in the Corinthians. He's confident in them, despite them being a dysfunctional church in many ways, despite them being a poor witness to Christ in many ways. He has hope for them. Why? Just because he's an optimist? No. Because if God has begun a good work among them, he will complete it. God is faithful and will sustain you to the end. God finishes the work he starts. Now, Paul is under no illusion that there may be some in the church who prove to be imposters who prove to be deluded, who prove in the end to have no love for God. There may be some who reveal by their continued unrepentant sin or by their denying the faith to not ever have been in Christ at all. Paul is certainly under no illusions about that. But until that time, he is going to put his confidence in God and his faithfulness to continue the work he began among them. When growth is painfully slow, he'll hope in God. When they frustrate him and let him down, he'll hope in God. When they even turn against him, as many of them have, he will hope in God because God is faithful to his own. Again, To to press this a little bit further, this attitude that Paul can have is not due to Paul's just kind of gracious and kind and forgiving temperament, and so just be more like Paul. No. Paul can begin the letter this way and have this attitude towards the Corinthians because of his confidence in the graciousness and kindness of God. So the lesson isn't be more like Paul, but continue to behold and grasp the grace of God in Christ. Consider and cling to the tender kindness of God by faith. To consider that briefly, just a couple examples from the life of Jesus. So in the days leading up to Jesus' death, Jesus knows fully what is to come, knows fully that his disciples are going to flee from Him. Some of them will deny knowing Him. But in the days leading up to that, Jesus dines with them and shares a meal with them. He washes their feet. And He prays for them. After His death and resurrection, He turns to Peter, who had denied Him three times, just looking out only for Himself. And instead of Condemning Peter, he reaffirms Peter three times affectionately. The scandal of Christianity, you know, the offense of Christianity isn't that God punishes sin. It is that God deals gently and kindly and patiently with sinners. Paul will say in one of his other letters that the kindness of God is is intended to lead us to repentance. That's God's plan, that he would draw our cold and hard hearts to himself through his kindness. An English pastor from the 1600s wrote, We are apt to think that he, God, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. No, says he, I am meek, gentleness, is my nature and temper. So here's the point. If this is how God deals with us, if this is how the holy, perfect God, who is just, deals with us in our sin, patiently and gently, lovingly enduring with us, we ought to deal with one another in the same way patiently gently and lovingly i mean jesus says plainly just as i have loved you you also are to love one another which doesn't mean just go out and you know make up some definition of love and do do that no love as i have loved you love one another so for you what is your attitude your heart your affections towards one another, towards other believers, especially in this church? First of all, just in general, do you actively give God thanks for one another? Do you give God thanks for the, the ministry of encouragement and accountability and and just being in the trenches with one another? As we come together on Sunday mornings and other times throughout the week, do you, how often do you remember to give God thanks for one another? But more to the point, what is your attitude when others reveal their sin or hurt you? or frustrate you, or annoy you, or reveal themselves to be much more immature or weak than you thought. Again, as we'll see in 1 Corinthians, there is certainly a place for warning and correcting and confronting and all of these things. We should care to see that others are bearing fruit and thus confirming their salvation. This is part of the reason God gives us one another. We don't just turn a blind eye to those things. But in this, what is our heart's attitude? Do we see sin and weakness in others as an excuse to withdraw or take personal offense? Do we become proud and thinking that we're better than others? Or do we realize that we are in the same position as one another? We All are saved by the grace of God, continually dependent on the grace of God. And so there was ever a need to fight against the temptation just to continually be be bitter and disappointed in one another. Well, he's not what he should be. She has a lot of growth left. Yeah, that's going to be true as long as we are in this life. But it is also true that they belong to God. And God is at work. God has purchased them with His own, with the blood of Christ. He's made them His own. And so perhaps a good habit for us is before we talk to someone about how they've hurt us or sin in their lives, we stop and give thanks to God for them. We stop and give thanks for the grace of God in their life and And then we put our hope not in them or anything in them or their potential, but in God and His Spirit in them. And you and I know that this is really hard to do with some people in our lives. Often it's those closest to us that can hurt us the most and make it so hard to be thankful to God for them. All of this is part of the reason that we, as a church, also have a membership process, uh, because we want to make it as clear as possible who your brothers and sisters in Christ are. Like, who is it that I'm actually supposed to be thankful for? Who is it that I'm supposed to be looking out for evidence of God's grace in their lives and celebrating it when I see it? Who is it that we are supposed to be patiently enduring with, extending grace to through the sufferings and sins and disagreements and divisions that come? You see, belonging to a church isn't just about what we can get out of it. The benefits it gives us. That's how we are conditioned to judge everything, right? We are consumers. Everything in our world is training us to be consumers. And our first thought is, what's the benefit?" What am I getting out of it? But more than that, belonging to a church, in part, is about increasing the thanks, and the thanks and the praise that we give to God. Right? The church is a context that is where we see the grace of God at work and where we are taught and trained in to, to give greater worship to God. And you, you, you actually have to come together with one another to do that. To see the grace of God at work and to give thanks for it. And that's what God desires. And if this is true of a church like the Corinthian church, I mean, is is it can it not also be true of almost any church built on the Word of God? That there is reason to give thanks always. So my prayer and I would encourage your prayer to be, to include, that this attitude, this disposition, this hope would characterize us as a church. That our hope and confidence in one another would not be in one another, but in God and His grace that has begun a good work and His faithfulness to carry that out to the end. May we fight in easy times and in hard times, to give thanks for one another and to celebrate God's work in one another's lives. Again, our hope is in the faithful and effective grace of God. And we're going to celebrate that, that work of God and that grace of God in communion now, as we do each week. And this is a time that not just reminds us, but also humbles us of all that God has done for us, and that as an example for us to give ourselves and, and submit ourselves to serve one another in this way. Let's pray.